everybody to Room of Requirement, a podcast of resilience and reason in a time of Trump. This is episode 62. Uh, I'm Miracle Jones, and with me is... Alexis Wright. And Kamala Shrell. And we are back for our second installment of a, of a very important cycle of debates. Uh, debating the issues you care about, America. In a way that will satisfy and soothe you with our comedy and probity and collegiality. <laughs> uh, something you can't find everywhere else. Just imagine we're in black and white in a room full of smoke. Uh, it's 1952. Uh, so, uh, this time, this go round, it's going to be Lex and Kamalish discussing. Uh, a subject that I think everybody is dancing around or explicitly getting into these days uh, on the internet and maybe even in their own homes. Uh, we're going to talk about the uh, the virtues or lack thereof of centrism. And I guess the corollary to that is are the virtues or lack thereof of radicalism. Uh, and so just to, to kick it off, uh, Lex, would you mind defining centrism just in general? So in the context in which we're using it nowadays and certainly on this podcast, I guess um, it would be the adoption of what I guess we consider center-left policy, right? So um, pro-capitalism, pro-markets, pro-consensus, um, pro-compromise, but specifically pro-compromise with the opposing political party, um, and pro-moderation. So and uh, pro probably to the extent that it's possible within a democratic party um, fiscal, let's say responsibility. Um, balanced budgets. If if centrism is represented by a small amount of people, if it's thin, is it still centrism, or does centrism require a component of being uh, represented by like the vast majority, the silent majority of people? Um, that's an interesting question. I think typically in terms of how it's being used um, by centrist centrism is based on some kind of median or compromise point between political opinions inside the Overton window. So not a consensus in terms of population, but a some kind of middle point in terms of stated political positions. Okay. Uh, so you're, you're, you're suggesting that the ends kind of move the middle. Yes. Uh, do, you, do you agree with this? Uh, uh, I, I thought it was actually a really fair assessment of how I would define centrism. Okay, great. I do my best to be yeah, fair. Uh, Thank you. Right, yeah. And in which case, then I would move it to you. So, would you mind defining radicalism? So, I mean, radicalism. I think on sort of the ground level of where we're talking about politics now, I think on the left means exploring sort of uh, uh, policies that have more to do with increased government spending, uh, uh, increase increased government um, roles, and say healthcare. Um, also uh, trying to explore more uh, uh, quote-unquote radical policies, but policies that are seen to be uh, too extreme because uh, um, you don't think that the, that the majority of the country would want to try to explore it. Things like gun control, like I think that's something that, that comes up in terms of the radicalism on the left. I also just think it's an attitude and somewhat um, 
it's a way of also expressing politics, which is much more about uh, protest and um, aggressive uh, confrontation and willing to also um, willing to also inject some things like uh, purity tests and ideology as a way of uh, establishing what is right uh, for policy, right? So it's starting with a set of ideologies and a, a sense of um, real kind of viewpoints that are important, and then from there on, uh, we derive policy ideas. And we also define the body, the body politic that we think is worth interacting with. I think that's radicalism both on the left and the right. I mean, I think I, I would take issue with the idea that ideological purity tests are purely something that exists on the fringes. I think that centrists certainly engage in their own battery of ideological purity tests around um, the location of ideas with respect to the Overton window, whether things have already been accepted as some kind of consensus position, um, and maybe the response to those um, to, to items that fail those tests are a little bit different, where for radicals they're considered morally wrong, and then from a centrist position they're then considered um, sort of impossible, right? That's the assumption. Or yeah. strategically naive. Or strategically naive, but dismissed out of hand. Yeah. In, at the same level of dismissal, I would say. That, that's a fair argument. I would agree with that. Uh, uh, so if these are strategies for getting stuff done that, you know, uh, one might like, to see happen in government or in society, uh, what are the virtues of centrism, Kamalesh, uh, as opposed to radicalism? Sure. So I would actually say, I would extend the virtues of centrism beyond just what's tactically right. Yeah. Uh, so I actually think that centrism, especially in the American context, um, is tactically the right answer, um, just in terms of what we're thinking about the ground games, and possible is that, strategies. Is that specific to America? Is there something process related? about the American government system that makes centrism more attractive? I think so. I think there's something in particular about the, the U.S. system. We can talk about other uh, other types of systems, but I think um, in the U.S. system in particular, I think centrism is important. Uh, and I think also just ideologically, um, uh, I think it's important to understand the limits of radicalism, um, and I think centrism is a good check on that. I think that uh, I don't know if... Either I don't know if any side really has all the answers, and I think centrism is sort of a way of being uh, putting a little bit of um, breakers on your own kind of ideology. And then finally, I think morally it's right. I think it's important to have a mindset that allows you to reach out to other people. So that's so there are three kind of real virtues I see about centrism. Um, but I think tactically, what happens uh, in terms of the political sphere is that especially in the U.S., I mean, just how we um, allocate power, how we sort of distribute power, how power is, is sort of given to things like geography. Um, <laughs> I think it's it's harder to kind of think about how you put together, put together um, policies that can sustain multiple administrations and various, uh, uh, various turnovers at, at the high level of government without coming to some sort of consensus. Things that are sustainable um, have to have to involve kind of cleaving together um, policies that appeal to a much wider sense of the population. And so that's why I think uh, radicalism is, is a hard, it's a, it's a hard road uh, to tell, I think. And I also think that in particular, I think centrism also 
because it comes with a sense of compromise, um, or it tries to come with a sense of compromise, or maybe just pretends to come with a sense of compromise. I think there is something about trying to get to a, a mode of politics that's consensual. I think yeah. that is, um, on the face of it, maybe also in itself appealing, but I could be wrong on that. I think radicalism is appealing to certain people. That I mean, just the performative yeah. mode of it. I think centrism is its own performative mode, um, but I think that I prefer... I think I prefer the performative mode of centrism, just because I think it's um, it's how I, I think how I think it's how I think we should approach our uh, way we we discuss politics and yeah. So what you're saying is decisions reach through like centrist compromise are ones that are gonna last. Um, um, it's possible. I mean, I I find myself thinking that or seeing that as an approach. It's very possible on the other side that I mean. Uh, there are real shifts, right? Like, you talk a lot about the overall window. What happens when the population becomes more radical, right? Like, uh, there are a number of cases where, you know, in 10 years or five years, like, the the political position changes dramatically. Um, I would say I wonder what that causes, and I don't know if I believe it's necessarily the radicals winning uh, by the mode of their politics as much as it is other things forcing the general population to come around to thinking about something differently, right? Yeah. And giving them the space to say, like, okay, well, this is what we this is what we think. We can put forth an argument about it, but uh, we're but allowing them to change in their own right. I guess the typical kind of issue was gay marriage, which in two thousand six was a was a wedge issue. It's the one the Republicans hoped to bring up all the time because they thought they'd run out of votes. And in 2016, the president, the Republican president, said he didn't care. Right? Like, I mean, that's 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 a radical change in 10 years. Um, and I don't think that's because I don't. You can maybe argue why that happened, but I think there were a lot of forces underneath it, not just a radical confrontational politics um, that allowed that change to happen. I think I think centrism has. It's not a perfect. It's not a perfect way to get sustainable change but I think it is a mode of engaging in politics it's more important now than late other than in previous times so that's because I think it's a little rarer yeah so that's and that's kind of where I go for that so I'll, I'll leave it at that yeah so Kamala's just taking out basically all the center ground here so you're gonna have to make a radical argument in order to I mean he's, radicalism. yeah uh, so so what are the virtues of radicalism as far as uh, changing a conversation or? okay so the virtues of radicalism um, I'm gonna go a little bit off of what I think would be the typical script for defending radicalism here and I want to talk about distributed decision-making okay so um, I've just been reading uh, Suryaki's um, The Wisdom of Crowds, which talks a lot about the conditions under which groups make good decisions, make decisions that are better than the decisions that typically could be reached by any individual in the group alone, right? And the core requirements to do that are diverse opinions, um, decentralization in some way to aggregate those opinions, right? In the American democracy context, we're talking about the positions of parties as based on the members of those parties. Now. I think when we talk about centrism versus radicalism, there is a tendency to assume that centrists own compromise. And that hasn't necessarily been accurate in any of my political experience. Um, centrists own centrism, right? Um, which is a specific set of positions, which again, like I said before, seems to be kind of triangulated based not on majority opinion and also not really even on the full range of opinion, but on the full range of opinion that's sort of considered seemly in public discourse, which excludes radicalism by definition. And so I think um, 
to the extent that using those parameters, radicalism just includes the full set of opinions, including those are ex those that are extreme that fall within the party hypothetically, it's automatically extending the range of views and positions that we can have, right? Whether or not I think that protest participation is moving the needle or is a signal that the needle is being moved on some issue like gay marriage, the visibility of radicals shows us the far pole of the party. And I think to, to Kamalish's point that centrism is a winning political strategy in the United States right now, I would actually say that the Republican Party is a clear counter argument to that, right? Um, if we assume that some of the dynamics that are playing out inside of the Democratic Party right now echo what was happening in the Republican Party maybe five years ago, right? Centrism lost. Um, centrism did not offer people what they needed. And in theory, it should have been possible for um, Republicans to differentiate themselves in the center of the field if this was something that was just happening on the basis of ideas, right? You can have different technocratic solutions that the party gets behind. Um, I think in this case, in a party which is straight-jacketed into centrism, right, which maybe overwhelmingly accepts that centrism is the only winning political strategy, what you get is a consensus of people who understand that the party is not the solution to their problems, right? Um, and that doesn't bring people on board and it doesn't keep people on board, it shrinks the party. Um, and that to me is the downside of centrism, right? Is that it assumes that, and it assumes that a compromise position not within the party, but across the whole acceptable political spectrum is the most strategically viable position. Yeah. Regardless of the actual attributes of that position, whether it solves anyone's problems, whether it fires anyone up with passion, whether it makes people think about things in new ways, whether it even actually solves problems, right? Right. Um, so one of the big downsides of group decision-making, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, right, so the, the core attributes that you need for it to work are, like I said, these diverse opinions, decentralization, and a way to aggregate. But the primary thing that brings down group decision-making is herd behavior. Okay. So um, in this case, I think there's an ability, particularly given the way that media works and given the fact that um, political media in particular is focused in a fairly narrow way on a fairly small set of actors and speakers, I think that there's a real vulnerability to herd mentality among the political class. Um, and that, to some extent, is a group that is viewed as aspirational by centrists. Um, and so I don't actually necessarily think that radicals are given a voice in determining the window of centrism. I think that that's much more of um, something that's done by fiat, right? On behalf of, of centrists by sort of the political class and based on a combination of their own interests and the limited set of ideas that they've been exposed to. Interesting. Uh, so back to you, do centrists need radicals in order to get what they want done? Uh, so I'm not convinced that they're instrumental, right? Yeah. I think they are, I think they exist as part of a way of framing a centrist debate, right? Like I think that's truth. And I think uh, I think to your point, I think it's a, a, a the way that we uh, that centrists tend to either dismiss or sort of uh, create the um, 
how we want radicals to um, be perceived. I think that's a way of framing the centrist debate. I think that, that's a that's a really fair point. I think that in some ways uh, you, it's easy to kind of in a world where centrists tend to um, drive policy, then the radicals become these threats on the fringes, right? And they're like, oh, okay, well we have a we have a position, you know, and if you don't give into our position, there's the threat to our left yeah. or the threat to our right. And I think that's fair. I think there's a character. I also I also take into the criticism that um, a lot of the pol or the so-called policy failures or how we consider policy failures of the American political scene over the past 15 or 20 years have been driven by centrist uh, philosophy so I uh, or, or centrist approaches to things but I would I would think that more than a set of policy debates what I'm arguing for is a, is a way of interacting and a way of thinking about it so um, I think that though again I mean the frame of the debate can move to the left or the right and the point is that at any any time you are trying to see, um, what are the people on a wide set of spectrum thinking and you try to locate good policy in a way that could maybe reach across the aisle. Now, whether or not that's actually politically effective, I think there's a strong argument that in a radicalized age, it's not politically effective, right? Because we just tend to be breaking two. And so any you're not going to get people to come over to your side and in the end, you end up alienating your extreme fringes. I think that's a fair point. Um, I want to say that what's really more important is a, is that real strive for trying to understand what people who are not only on your side but also on the other side of the argument what they're saying and not only just because I think um, I mean in terms of just being able to engage in a body politic um, is important but it's also uh, really important to think about politics as a compromise as opposed to the uh, politics is a way of in of imposing a set of platonically great political ideals, right? Like I think this is the pro. I, this is my issue with the empiricism versus the empiricism of of politics, where I think that uh, ideology um, tends to drive radicals to mm -hmm. first conceive of an idea that's perfect, and then try to make messy compromises to get as close to that perfect ideal as possible. Right, so that you know, um, such and such is a moral absolute, and we just have to do our best to make sure that 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 moral absolute is enacted. Whereas I think, from a centrist point of view, uh, and, and and maybe this is just a personal philosophy that we start to build evidence from the ground up, right? Like we don't. And one way to think about what is morally correct is to survey a lot of people or trying to understand other people's points of view. And so you come with a sense of that's that's political compromise. At its at its beginning, right? Like I mean, and so I think that's 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 more of the argument that I'm uh, that I'm interested in, right? I think uh, that empiricism versus empiricism, because I don't know necessarily if the ideologies um, are right. Like these moral absolutes from the uh, from any side, I think are are can be very flawed, and 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 so that there's a nice it would be nice to have some sort of break to understand at least different moral absolutes. Yeah. So that's that's what I'm arguing. I reject the premise that the best way to achieve a compromise is to start from a compromise position. Okay. Right. So um, in any negotiation, which includes the process of political compromise, which I'm overwhelmingly in favor of, um, you have to start 
from a position that holds to your actual goal, right? Only from there can you actually make meaningful compromises. It's a it's a negotiation, particularly when you talk about outside of the party, so between parties, but even within the party, right? Um, you have to have some starting position from which you would prefer not to bend so that you can make allowances or not and then come to a mutually beneficial arrangement that'll work. I also, I do think that it is very important strategically for the party um, to reject the idea that the primary goal of its political ideology should be to focus exclusively on what is most strategically easy to enact, right? Because what these parties need is to be powerful coalitions and that means that they need to speak to and for the people who they are hoping will vote their party right um so if we're saying well i don't think that starting from a position of some moral absolute is fair appropriate or reasonable that may or may not be the case in a vacuum but you need to persuade voters right like, we, are, we are a Puritan nation after all. <laughs> so, so there needs to be a real argument that what the party is trying to do is make people's lives better, not figure out how much leeway it has to make perfectly centrist bills pass, right? Can you give an example of, uh, Kamala gave the example of gay marriage, but uh, of an example of a time when radicalism has been more effective than centrism and, you know, changing the conversation, getting something done uh, in America. Let's say the current movement in the healthcare debate, okay. right? Um, you know, when we start to see movement on these ideas, by its nature, it's an extreme position because it's a new position. And only over time do they cycle into the mainstream narrative of the party or the Overton window. And so I would say that any centrist position that has been enacted into policy was at some point an extreme radical position. For the most part, right? But then um, it needed that centrist stamp of approval in order to make it seem. But it wasn't swallowable. centrist when it started out. So sure. the question is, what's the transition point, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, how do these ideas enter the consensus? Um, you know, I'm I'm in favor of compromise. I'm in favor of a full spectrum of diverse opinions within the party, and I think that if the counter argument to diverse opinions is that um, they are too extreme to be formally recognized by the party as a good idea, then radicalism has to occur, right? People have to use alternate venues to express and advance those ideas precisely because the party is trying to lock them out, right? Are there any examples where radicalism has gone too far, where it's failed? And I mean, if we're looking at cases where radicalism has gone too far, I would say if you look at the current regulatory agenda of the existing administration right now, right? Um, you know, in theory, if you are capitalist, you think that a deregulatory agenda is pro-business. But if you look at the results of what have happened in terms of reduced inspections and safety procedures in the agriculture industry, there's a reason that nobody was eating salad at Thanksgiving. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I do think that um, radicalism can certainly, if enacted into policy or not enacted into policy but executed through executive action go overboard but that doesn't mean that it's not necessary it just means that um, there is a role of 
consensus and centrism in the debate, which is not something that I would argue against. Um, but in order to form a compromise, you have to have a starting position. Yeah. So your definition of radicalism seems fairly mild and pleasant compared to what most people I think think of radicalism and is in fact an ideological position and not a procedural one right so you're not advocating like the way government needs to happen well, is marching I, in the street I think, and I think my... uh, bank robberies and blowing up buildings so th- that's the I... only way you know people so, start listening so I think that um the broader implication of my position yeah. includes the full range of radicalism, which is to say that if there are views and positions that are not allowed to be included within the party or within the actual party system, the political system, then those views need to be entered into the debate by any means necessary within some range of any means necessary, right? <laughs> which is. Um, Not the quote. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so, so I think by implication, yeah, like radical action is something that has a place. Um, do I think it's always appropriate? No. Do I think that compromise is always appropriate? No. You know, um, I don't think that, you know, when kids health care was on the table last year, I don't think that compromising down from a position where we give kids health care through an existing program by funding it uh was a position we should back down from right do you, uh Kamlesh, do you think uh radicalism has an aesthetic quality to it yeah that's actually one of my chief arguments against it right like i think that the mode especially how we think of radicalism now um involves a sort of um romanticization of the engagement of of romantic radical politics right like so that protest movements are the way that change gets made that we start with people who are a small group of very enlightened people who just continue to protest along uh, a single moral line that is 100% somehow received from on high as being what correct and that that was what they did they they had this moral perception like Saul on the road to Damascus, they just stuck to this moral line and then they made compromises along the way in order to enact that. I think there is a sort of aesthetic kind of appreciation of the like uncompromising radical as, a, as the most potent form of politics that I find, I think I find it historically untrue and also uh, it tends to once again back into a set of politics that makes, from which compromise is very, very difficult. I'm not saying, I, I take the point, I actually think that if you want to think about radicalism as being ways of thinking about new ideas outside the um, outside of the, of the centrist consensus, that's perfectly fine. And I think that you can make a very strong argument that one of the things that happens around a consensus is it's a, it's a it's the path of least resistance around which a bureaucracy, especially a big, large federal bureaucracy, gets built, so that they are somewhat vested in putting out these kind of let's put out policies that we can all kind of agree on, and that's not necessarily a radical change. I 100% agree with that, but I I think that any any kind of ideology is going to police itself right so that i mean we have to think about um we have to think about and i i, I think the bureaucracy will function as a way of of curtailing debates to the end and to its extremes and i think that's probably wrong um in some way and i'll agree with that but i don't necessarily that's i don't necessarily think that that's how 
a centrist ideology works, right? I think that's how a centrist bureaucracy is enacted, right? And But that's true with anything, right? Like, I think that's true if you had somehow, like we've seen, uh, where you have a radical um, set of politics enacted and, and put into the bureaucracy, it also becomes incredibly uncompromising, right? Like, in, 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 in a way that I think is way more scary when you have radicals in charge of, uh, where you have a lot of ideology uh, that's dri that drives um, politics, I think that's much more scary. And I tend to think of this as sort of radical politics of say like uh, the leftist brigades of Mao. Um, so I think when I think of radicalism, right, like I think of radicalism as the end game is Maoism, right? Like, right. And I think of centrism as a way of pulling that, pulling that in Maoism, which so, I think is so just to push, So just to push back, yeah. so, so, so the gay marriage example is a, is a good one because it is a victory of centrism and an issue that uh, kind of everybody was ready to let go in America and stop fighting about. But how do you get to the end of American slavery without radicalism? 100%. I actually think that the uh, gay marriage is actually an argument for radicalism. Mm -hmm. Because I think that the, but I think it's in such a way that I mean it was it's a very bourgeois radicalism, right? Yeah. Are you about to tell us that the end of slavery was an argument for centrism? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, so back, so back. No, 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 no I'm not so, saying. So an uh, institution protected by the Senate, you know? Right. And, absolutely. Um, so one hundred percent. I'm not saying that there isn't space for radical ideals. I think what's important is that you you try to understand. I mean, part of centrism is an understanding that there are many sources of ideologies and ideals from which you should listen, right? Yeah. I think radicalism is about, I have a single set of ideologies which is inherently coherent, which must be enacted. Well, right. That's and why I believe Yeah, it's and I mean, slavery is a radical position. Yeah. So we're looking at reversion to mean being the end of slavery, right? Like, okay, what we're doing, what we're supporting here is radical and against the, the uh, placid nature of human existence, which... And requires neither being a slave nor owning one, uh, in which case removing slavery will get us back to some sort of like centrist uh, paradise of where we can just prosper and be at peace with our neighbors. Or do you disagree? I, I disagree. I think the idea that centrism has some ultimate position relative to human behavior that is happening that is true across the ages and excludes slavery is just not one that is supported by history, right? Or like it's it happens to be supported by the current political consensus, so we have a feeling that it has always been true, but I mean, you know, it was enacted into policy at every phase of the development of the US government until we decided that it wasn't going to be legal anymore, and that was a radical change, right? And that required radicalism to enact. Um, yeah, quite a war. But yeah, so uh, I'm not I'm not in any way arguing that slavery was a centrist position. Like, <laughs> okay. not, that's, that's a nonsense position. Yeah. But what I am arguing is that we tend. But to was defended by centrists is what I'm but saying. But also, like, yeah, for 100. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so that that's not what I want to argue is that we a radical position or a radical outlook is to look at those moments of history as being the most important or the only ones we learn lessons from. Sure. And I think that's wrong, right? I th yeah. Especially on the left, you you. You have you know three modes of history, right, or three moments in history: civil rights, end of slavery, gay rights, right? Like I mean, and those are those are ones where w women's rights. Women's, yes. But that's actually a little less like radical. Well, we haven't got there momentous, yet. Never momentous, heard of, yeah. right? <laughs> Like, there's a slow burn of women's rights for, like, yeah, 50 yeah. years, right? So that's actually, but yeah, you have maybe three or four 
protest movements that are the only lessons from history you learn, as opposed to I think that there are probably ways of thinking about and important ways of thinking about how how history is in itself um, or policies in itself is often act, enacted in a messy compromise kind of way as well as I mean it is actually changed by radicals 100% but it is also important to understand that those are radicals that somehow we kind of align our current values to yeah. and that's not necessarily how well, we go about interacting with people I mean no matter what I if, uh, when you think about slavery, slavery was uh, a centrist position, right? Like, and, and so that, what does that leave you? I yeah. don't know. Uh, it leaves you kind of on the, uh, because who we are in a modern society, we are on the, on the side of the radicals. But that's not, but I don't think we should understand the few moments of actual moral correctness in which history kind of revealed itself to be uh, true, right? I don't necessarily think that's how human society exists or evolves, right? So I think that, that we can have a couple of shining lights of, of moral clarity that is revealed through history. But that's, I think our, our uh, history and politics is much more messy. And in someone just kind of caught up in a moment, as we all are, it's much better to try to understand what other people's kind of ideologies are and try to understand what kind of uh, uh, common ground we have. And that's, and I, I think we don't necessarily exist in a, a time of moral absolutes anymore. That's, that's kind of my argument. So, um I would say that radicalism does not exist in a vacuum, right? And people don't become radical when centrists are willing to negotiate toward their positions, right? Okay. Um, so I think the idea that centrists own compromise and the centrist position is negotiation and compromise regardless of, um, for all comers, let's say, yeah. is, is not accurate because if that were the case I think that um, radicalism would not exist to the extent that it does and it certainly wouldn't be resurgent as it is right now right mm -hmm. um, so there's this idea also sort of in uh, group decision-making related stuff of um, I don't know if you guys have heard of this shilling point right so the shilling point is this idea SCH yep SCH so um, the idea is that given a set of shared experiences people will come up with similar solutions to similar problems so I think one of the original studies was like they asked a bunch of law students they told them they were gonna have to meet each other in New York but not where and they would have to pick a place independently of each other to try to meet up and everyone picks um the info desk at grand central and then they did another round of it where they said okay that's a terrible place <laughs> like that's yeah, like but, the worst thing but, 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 the cube man the cube asked <laughs> <laughs> but and then they told them and and we won't tell you what time and they have, like the most of them picked noon right and so like there's ah, this idea <laughs> but there's this idea of a default position which people accept as a solution to problems that they're facing which often is going to be common among many people and if the solution that people are defaulting to is radicalism there's something wrong with your centrism right that's an interesting point so you're saying that radicalism i'm saying that a sufficiently yeah. inclusive centrism makes radicalism unnecessary unnecessary yeah, yeah. But, or largely but a centrism that is only there for its own sake and ignores the realities of a situation kind of uh yeah yeah uh, exactly so uh, i would disagree with that but yeah so you disagree with well no i'm not saying it's always the perfect solution but i don't think that that a radicalism is a failure of the center i yeah. think radicalism is, is maybe an expression of a certain viewpoint and maybe even 
and it may even be right or wrong yeah. that somehow consensus politics has failed. That doesn't necessarily mean that consensus politics has failed, right? right? Like it just may be that the a group of people think it's failed, right? So I think and and want more radical solutions, right, to sure. to problems that they see. So there are they may feel that the whatever the approach that works is uh is not actually working, and so what we need is a much more radical, well, uh, uh, let's say energetic, but also um, uh, engaged and also um, somewhat less healed approach to politics, one of protest, one of um, even violent protests and radicalism, right? So that's, that's I don't necessarily see any time that, that those kind of movements crop up, right? Like, I don't see that as a failure of the center necessarily. Well, it seems like it more, what, more what Lex is saying is if you poll everybody and it turns out that all these positions are majority positions, they're no longer radical positions. And it's time to consider, you know, whatever this imaginary centrism uh, that exists only in the minds of a few as therefore a radical position because it's something that you're imposing against the majority of the people in order to move them one way or the other, or whip them, or, or make them feel, you know, in some way... Uh, beholden to existing power right. structures? Yeah, beholden to what existing I, I power I don't think structures. I was ever defining centrist as a fixed set of policies. No, no, no. I was no. Saying that and I think there's a real class element to this, particularly yeah. in the modern age, because right now the center is defined among the views of essentially the pundit class, right? Um, of the pundit political class, which is itself an outcropping of, for better or worse, of the academic and political and social upper class of America, right? Yeah. Howard Schultz's views are centrist at a party at the Met, right? right? <laughs> yeah. Howard Schultz's views are not as centrist, you know, at a bar in a suburb or at a factory plant or at a, anyway. I, 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 would, I, would, I think you may be right, but I also think that there's also a real sense of, in the upper elite class, I mean, there's a real romanticization of radical leftist politics. Yes. Yeah. And so, I mean, maybe I mean, may at the Met, but in academia, 100%, which is an elite institution that is rife with class issues, leftist radical politics reigns right and i think that's that's a, a and so i when you, i think of, of what centrism is it's actually a disengaged middle class right I, I mean i mean that's i mean that's not that's not what centrism is but i think that's probably where the center of the politics is and so saying that uh, people are naturally going to be radical in their opinions i don't actually think that's true i think most people kind of live their life not wanting to engage in politics and so that one and, it, and being pulled to either extreme is a for the mass of the population is it's a rarer example in, in history as a bit to what we have now which is sort of a middle class that's sort of engaged disengaged from the political process so I, I wouldn't say that i think you're right in the sense that like a bureaucratic centrist like government apparatus is something that's very elite but i also think a radical leftist value system is also part of the elite i i agree with you um to some extent and i but i'd also like to push back a little bit on your characterization of academia which um is absolutely overwhelmingly liberal in a number of ways um particularly in the liberal arts sphere uh, but and and maybe even more even in sort of other areas that i'm going to talk about like you know like economics right mm -hmm. like data science but i do think that 
um, even though there is academic acknowledgement of radical goals as valuable, I do think that in the same way that the, the political class perpetuates entrenched structures through its narrative, there is also a tendency of academia, again, particularly sort of um, in the economic sphere, um, to perpetuate existing structures and assume that existing narratives require no changes in the underlying assumptions that force centrist policies to be perpetual. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that that's a good point, but I would also say that I think in general when you think about uh, like sort of the mass body politics or people who are just part of the political body, they themselves are somewhat conservative in the sense that they don't necessarily want radical change. Procedurally. Procedurally, they don't, yeah. they don't want yeah. protests. I, I, think, I, I think protests are a great way to alienate a good number of people. Um, I think that... Um, yeah, wanting to be pulled to either side is not. I mean, there's just a lot of inertia in the body politic. Um, so I think that radicalism in itself doesn't necessarily uh, either the methods or or, or or the goals themselves don't necessarily excite a, a body politic that is uh, generally given to inertia. I mean, I I would agree with you. I think in the sense that um, I don't think most people are excited to go to protests, and I think that you know having their daily lives disrupted by protests is a little annoying to well, people are psyched to say something fucking crazy online at all times of the day oh yeah oh yeah world star man world star. yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and at the end of the day you know touching back on the point i made earlier i tend to think of radical politics engagement in radical politics protest politics um as a phase in the introduction of ideas into the sphere of what is acceptable so while you know while it's, it may not be exciting for people to see a protest today. The idea that was popularized in the wake of that protest will become centrist politics in 10 years, perhaps. Well, and I'm not saying that's true in all cases, but that that's part of the process of the growth of ideas within the party. What's more effective for changing a conversation? A radical expressing a centrist position or a centrist suddenly expressing a radical one? That is an interesting question. Um, I think a centrist expressing a radical position probably is more effective for moving the conversation forward. Yeah, I mean, I think most of the radical changes that we talked about involve someone kind of laying down arms, right? Like giving up, like Obama saying, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. now Obama married." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My, yeah, yeah. Anytime, yeah. anytime that a centrist says his opinion right. has evolved, evolved. Yeah. Whereas, right? <laughs> whereas a radical, I, I would agree with you, but and I'd say a radical has an interest, and they can't, even if they believe it, the moment they express a centrist position on something, they can be considered a sellout. So, or, so I, I will say this, um, and I think that part of what we've been talking about as things that people find objectionable yeah. about radical politics is the extremism and the purity culture around it. And I understand how those things are problematic if they were universal in the political sphere, but I do think that they are necessary for innovation to occur. I think that, again, if your starting position is a compromise position, you're never going to come up with a new idea, right? There's right. a herd mentality to the extremities of the political spectrum, just like there's a herd mentality to the center of the political spectrum, and it shows up a little bit differently, but it's needed in these cases in order to gather momentum. Um, yeah. So, like, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't like being yelled at by progressives about <laughs> who can't produce examples about sure. how we compromise too much either, right? Yeah. But, like, 
at the end of the day, if those people didn't hold that opinion, they wouldn't be pushing for real change, and neither would anyone else. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you aesthetically <laughs> that I like the ability to express crazy opinions in order to change a conversation. However, <laughs> however, that I mean, would obviously, be 90, that would be ninety nine percent of your conversation. Yeah. <laughs> however, however, what exactly? However, I also like the ability to change my mind. And that's something that uh, mm. I, I don't like to be fixed in things or attempting to occupy the space that's mm-hmm. the most radical at all times. Mm-hmm. Right. And, right. I th- and that's the attraction to me of centrism is I would rather be somebody that moves to a radical position from a you know a default position of like some sort of innate conservatism or innate procedural uh, belief in like the U.S. system or the government system. Or whatever. I think right. there are people who I think there are people who are dispositionally oriented toward radicalism in general, and then there are people who feel called toward radicalism on specific issues right and so i don't think i mean while yes um radicals and centrists who you talk to will each try to stake out their position as the only reasonable position you know um my argument isn't that everyone should be a radical it's that we should stop trying to say that radicals shouldn't exist no yeah (laughs) or that they're or that they're or that they're in no in some way Outside of the system, yeah, yeah, not exactly. Necessary for the system to work. Exactly, well. exactly. I, I'll, I'll agree with that one hundred percent. And maybe uh, once again, to your point, I think that the centrist consensus bureaucracy, um, sort of higher echelons of society, tend to block out radical ar- arguments to some degree. I think at some point they become, they become too popular, and all of a sudden the centrists all of a sudden become moved to one way or the other. Yeah. But I will also say I want to push back on the idea that. Uh, that radicalism is the only way that we have ideology changes. That we also that there are way that or a radicalist sense of politics is what leads this, right? I think that uh, in the case of gay marriage, I think there was a huge undercurrent of cultural change, right? That went beyond uh, just political discourse. I think politicians were catching up with culture for a long time, um, and I think that's just something that you saw a swing in uh, since uh, basically early '90s. You saw a real swing in how the culture itself perceived what it meant to be LGBTQ, right? And that's that's the difference, right? And I, I want to say that, I, I, to your point, I, I find, like, you have to, in order, in order to actually have a position, you have to know where your position is from. And I think that's very, like, if you have a straight sense or a very strong sense of what your position is, to me, that's already a radical position. So if you're a radical centrist, you can still be a radical, right? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you have started with a very strong sense of what your I- ideology from which you compromise in, that makes you a radical. That's not someone, and that's not my preferred mode of thinking about things. That is, that I think that, I think that kind of romanticizing and saying, oh, radicals are the way that our system changes and how we think about new ideas, I think is, I, I, I don't love that idea. I think all radicalisms, whether it be centrist or leftist or rightist or some combination of seven other dimensions, yeah. is that they are all flawed ways of perceiving the world. And I think a good, centrist is an, a good centrism is an exercise in trying to understand where everyone is coming from and trying to form an idea, form a set of ideals that takes what you think is valuable from those, those rather strong positions that are held. I think that's it's a weird space because I think we now in a political we're in a political era where we don't have that many moral absolutes, but we want to call every one of our political positions a moral absolute, mm-hmm. right? So that we tend to engage with 
moral debate from a sense of this is a moral absolute. This is the compromise. Right. Anything beyond well, doesn't, what I did, doesn't that reflect that's sort of centrism? Doesn't that, reflect that sort of reflect the power of radicalism? Like, right. It's, it's a, as yeah. an argument and an aesthetic for yeah. sure. But I think that when we are saying like uh, you know healthcare debates, right? Like healthcare debates are pretty nuanced, I think. But you can say like, oh, if we compromise to this, and I don't believe, I don't want to give into the centrist because I have my ideals. Like I think that's. That's a it's a bad mode, and I think we're it's a morally somewhat complicated society, yeah. and I think that's what radicalism doesn't acknowledge. Lex, right? where would you like to see people be more radical? I would like to see people be more radical in their advocacy for changes at the meta level of the political process, and I think you've seen that somewhat around the party primary structure and stuff. See, that's fascinating to me. That's a really good answer because you're, yeah, you're asking you're, it's a process radicalism. Yeah, right? yeah, Which I would I like. Yeah, with. I'd like to see process radicalism that's because I want to see. Because I think that the existing entrenched bureaucratic systems around how we make democratic decisions are old, right? Yeah. They were created in times when we had less interesting technologies available and we are able to be more connected and more dialed in, you know? And and what if what if party primary voting was a requirement for party registration? What if party idea polling participation was a requirement to be a registered member of either political party, right? I think that it's possible to have radical change that will force the parties to acknowledge true north on real political opinion and what people consider to be, to Kamalesh's point, real uncompromisable moral positions. And then we can focus our compromise in the appropriate areas. So what you're saying is by, by radical procedural changes, we will get less radicalism and be able to be more Exactly, or exactly. Or at least to focus our centrism in mm -hmm. areas of compromise that um, will be less likely to force people into radical action in order to see change happen. Yeah, centralism becomes less a brutalizing philosophy that keeps the margins uh, weak and instead becomes the process itself is centrist in which yeah. case that yeah. we can be more radical and be okay with that. And I also, I also think that that's an avenue where... Um, protest politics would work, mm -hmm. right? Like, if you, if if the Democratic National Convention was swarmed by Democrats protesting problems with, you know, how the party is run, or, you know, vice versa for Republicans, I think that that would be a protest that could create change much faster than a healthcare protest or than Occupy, right? Yeah, we've seen that a little bit with the elimination of superdelegates and yeah. also the elimination of caucuses. Yeah, and I think we should get more ambitious. What would be some more procedural changes you would like to see? I mean, this isn't something I've thought about in depth before, yeah. um, but the stuff that I just threw out yeah, earlier, yeah. right? Like 100% party participation in primaries, 100% party participation in some kind of polling, which could easily be technology-based. It I works really... in Australia, right? The, the, the compulsory voting. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if you know anyone who lives or has lived in Brazil where there is also compulsory voting, but yeah, I've heard mixed reports there. But like at the party level, I yeah, think at the party, yeah, at the party level. I think it I think it would encourage participation. Interesting. Um, Particularly if the for example, if there was polling where the results were always publicized, right? Yeah. Any anything else? Um, I think my, my take on sort of radicalism is that it 
it tends to really believe uh, it tends to start from a place of ideology and my general feel is that we are all sort of ignorant sinful creatures and that <laughs> our our basic viewpoints on the world are, are a flawed process of how we've decided to perceive the world and it would be just very healthy for us to acknowledge that in ourselves would be very helpful as a procedural centrism rather than a set of policy goals to be yeah. like oh this is what i believe but it is way more important for me to be engaging with other like islands of ideology um and trying to find the consensus that makes more sense because i have my own ways of thinking about the world and i have my own biases but that's my that is a product of other things right i think that that understanding that ideologies are a process a flawed process of perceiving and yeah. inflicting yourself upon the world is is really important and i think that's what i hope to get from more procedural centrism from from my point of view i would say that radicals do change things but not with respect to what they're radical about I would say that somebody like MLK makes Christianity seem appealing, not civil rights. And somebody like Bernie Sanders makes us all move to the right on immigration. Radicals stick out a position and then people perceive them as radical and therefore ideologically motivated. And then they adopt their positions without thinking about them on things that are maybe not... Or they, for, or they react. They yeah, react, opposite. exactly. Yeah. So uh, that's that's kind of my understanding of radical i think people are oppositional defiant in nature <laughs> uh, almost to a core especially in america i mean i think that particularly applies at the level of organizations and groups right yeah, yeah, Is yeah, that yeah they are defined both by their internal qualities and by their perception of external groups so you can't you can't start a political group in the united states without a counter group for, forming right yeah. like or maybe nowhere maybe there's nowhere that you could do this yeah, right yeah. by the very nature of man um yeah. But yeah, this is a fascinating. You guys have fascinating points of view, and uh, I, I don't think you're that far away from each other. Certainly not as far as the right and left in America, or the left and center left in America. Uh, so I, I, I hope that we can begin to discuss more radical procedural uh, changes in order to create a more happy centrist republic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. Well, uh, that, that brings us to the end of uh, episode 62 of Room Requirement. Uh, uh, thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll, we'll do this again. Mm-hmm.